0: Hello, and welcome to this week's 1 podcast with me, James York, and
1: Ted Knutson. It's been a long time, baby.
0: Well, welcome, Ted. Uh, we, as we were discussing a moment ago, you've been talking a lot of various things, including conferences and careers, days, and what have you. And your voice has <laughs> gone down a couple of uh, tones. So it's a nice
1: it's a bit growly. I'll, I'll I'll put it that way. But yeah. that's a that's a good time to talk about football. You won't get growly. We growl <laughs>
0: proper. Proper old guy football talk coming up. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, so we got loads of questions. Uh, We asked for some questions. It's also been a long
1: time because we did some things in the meantime, and then we didn't do things like the week before the conference because we were too busy. Uh, And then, technically, those of you who are big podcast listeners should have been watching the live show last week
0: yeah hopefully hopefully some people have got got wind of what happened last week and all the, uh, the conference and the live feed went really well apparently loads of people are on it and following all the all the presentations out of the main room we put out some i put out some some of the papers yesterday The I mean, videos are all to come i mean there's a lot of content going to come out of this uh, conference it was really good everyone enjoyed it
1: and you know, like twenty five thousand wow. views on on the periscope the that... That we did for the day, so like that was pretty cool. Uh, I'm yeah, sure there's yeah, people no, bouncing in and out, but but pretty cool. Uh, a couple of those we will not produce on video. We kind of said that at the time uh, on the day, although there was some confusion in messaging. But basically, we ended up without some permission to produce uh, the Vasa de Boda one uh, from ix which was fantastic uh and adrian tarascon of uh a psg also we can't put that one up on the youtube but um if you if you feel sad about that you should have bought a ticket and you should have showed up
0: They're still like 12 or 13 or something i don't know all right there's a
1: ton I'm, I'm not and they're all good <laughs> they're, you know. they're really good <laughs>
0: They were they were really good. The standards were really consistently high, as as people will see as we go along. So but
1: people people are like, well, why isn't this immediately on YouTube? And I'm like, because it takes time to produce the video of this. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I know that other people are used to people recording a show and then immediately editing it and putting it up. But like this wasn't recorded <laughs> for for YouTube. This was recorded as a as a much broader thing. Anyway, yeah,
0: we we busy. So <laughs> well, yeah, I,
1: so we went from. Uh, our conference and the course, like The course was another you know, 25 people in London. This one was a, a slightly quieter one. We're often very busy in London. Um, but we're from the the course, the intro course into... Um, uh, every time I say that now, I feel like we're going to get in trouble. Okay. Uh, hi, Yala. Um, <laughs> the intro course, uh, up in, uh, uh, so you, that was at Leighton Orient Stadium. We need to send a, a thank you to the management at Leighton for hosting us on that. They went to Stanford Bridge. Also, thank you. We, uh, uh that, that venue was fantastic and, and really cool to be there. Uh, and then we went into two team, team strategy days, global team strategy, people from three different continents. Uh, Stats is small, but growing really fast. And we need to see each other face to face on at least a biannual basis to, to put things together. Anyway, you guys don't give a shit about that. Uh, you give a shit about your questions, and we're going to dip right in, which says, My Intuition. That's always a good place to start on the Stats Bomb Podcast. Yeah. Says, Game State is a very important factor in how a game develops. Some teams, such as Arsenal, clearly play differently. There's an ironic tone in there that just sounded. Uh, when they're leading 1-0, as opposed to 0-0 or 0-1, is there value in separating out team player stats by Game State? And if so, why is it so rare? Okay, well, my view is like, yeah, there is some value
0: in this, but also like, you know, you're shredding your sample uh, as soon as you do that. It, it it kind of this this kind of jives at the whole like one of these tensions that kind of exists within football analytics and and it's certainly kind of people who are new to new to it and kind of like aren't learning uh, as they go, in between the like the kind of like looking at something that happened in a very small way, like one shot one expected goal value up to a game, and then looking at things across a longer t- time period of like you know like 20 games half a season a whole season all this kind of thing and i think yeah i mean pe- people quite often they'll look at the one game and be like oh well this team was behind the whole time or they had the whole time and like well surely that affected things And it's like yeah of course it did um and it, there is like some some information there that's you know worth worth using in your analysis but if you're looking at like you know whole seasons and stuff then it's just a slightly different lens to look at it i don't know i mean there, there's these questions are not simply answered. It's the it's the it just depends how much you weigh everything in that in into your analysis and how much things count. Like if a team has never led all season or never been behind all season, there's a couple of angles there. Like number one, they probably they probably will start lo- uh, <laughs> being behind or ahead at some point. You know, you can probably with some reliability estimate that that will happen at some point. But I don't know. It's complicated, isn't it, Ted?
1: It is, and it's funny so teams kind of clue in on this and they will use stuff and we have game state in almost all of our filters for uh for stats about my queue and it's it's a thing that we don't necessarily talk about as much because we kind of get used to it and it's not that big a deal but the the, the sample size issue is, is pretty enormous um so say a team mid table team um Average leading a third of the time, uh, we're at even a third of the time, and we're behind a third of the time. And maybe some of that time is even like 0-2 two or 2-0 two or 3-0, or God forbid. Like your sample size is good to nothing very, very quickly. And you want to yeah. be a little careful about that. Now, it's not to say that, you know, going down early and then trying to sit on the lead doesn't really affect your, your shot numbers or anything like that. It does. Um, but <laughs> there's a, a pretty strong theory out there that says that it shouldn't. If you're playing optimally, which almost nobody does. Um, what's interesting is, is the reason why I said the ironic flag there for for Arsenal playing differently when they've got a different game state is because Wenger didn't used to do that. And he was one of the few teams in the world that you could say they would pretty consistently play the same style, especially in attack, uh, at almost any game state. At least that was what we had in the analysis back in the day. So, yeah, I mean... You have to be really careful about all this stuff. And it's uh, football is complicated and analysis is complicated. And you know, if people want to shit on a particular set of ideas, they could do it in any number of different ways. It doesn't make their analysis more valid or less valid often than what's out there. But it might be a thing where like inside of a club, you're like, well, yeah, you know, it feels like uh, red card is another one. Like it's not just game status red yeah. card. So like we were like six, seven, eight games into the season. At most, and you're like, well, this team's had red cards in two games. What should we do with that? Uh, and you're like, yeah, there's complexity inside of it. Um,
0: and Yeah, and the, the new analysis uh, point of playing Man City. Or not,
1: <laughs> <like> yeah.
0: <that. laughs> there's all these little guys. Kind of, uh, Those little, losers, I'm, the second-place
1: yeah, team.
0: I don't even <laughs> second here. Well, anyway, I will say, um, the opposite to Wenger in that regard, if you know Wenger didn't change what he did, the, the manager I remember what, I tracked this in manually one season back in the day. The, uh, and it took forever, but whatever, I was crazy in those days. Um but yeah, the opposite of Wenger was Pulis. Like literally the difference between what Pulis did uh, like when he was level or ahead versus behind was just night and day. <laughs> like so, how good is this team? I don't know. They do very different things. But that's the thing: if you can identify teams that like are actively very different in different kind of game states, and you know your point about like plus two, minus two, plus three, minus three does just barely any minutes like played for most teams in these kind of like you know uh out of range games almost uh, all
1: of the american sports get rid of garbage time as like mm. valid sample stats at some point but they often have like way more possessions inside of their games or things that are like meaningful and, and we don't uh, Yeah, i mean yeah. at the end of the day there's just there's just a lot of layers to any kind of analysis and where you
0: draw the line is is kind of up to you but you know be aware of these things don't discount them Right, uh, next question. If you had Burnley as a client and had full influence over their recruitment, stroke set pieces, and could also fine-tune the playing style, do you think you could turn them into a Champions League club with Dice as the head coach using Dice's game model? Um, Hmm. <laughs> I, Sean Dice can do what Sean Dice want, wants to do. <laughs> I'm not sure I can tell him <laughs> what to do. I'm not sure you can tell him what to
1: do, but uh, I guess it's an it's in, a very inter- complicated conversation, isn't it? Interesting question there. Um, do do warlocks change their stripes? Uh, yeah,
0: I don't know. Mystical creatures are not an ex- expert area for me. So <laughs> uh,
1: the reason yeah. why I flagged this one up, James wanted to get rid of it, but uh, one <laughs> like coaches very rarely change styles, um, especially uh, with having success in different styles so like that that's a level of complexity might be more likely for the italian coaches to make some changes because of uh converziano and they've had they they kind of enforce the so converziano for those who don't know is like the italian coaching academy um, that you have to go through uh, to get like the top level licenses many different countries have that but uh, from my understanding it in the past, like, Ricciano makes you adopt, like, a couple of different styles uh, to explore at least a little bit. Um, but giving someone the tools to be able to coach that and enforce that type of stuff on players is quite difficult through sessions, whatever. Um, so I think the dice would, would struggle a little bit there. I think the <laughs> there isn't just one style that can be successful. And the better question in this would be, that, or the, the offshoot of this question, is if you take... Simeone, and you put him in the UK, what would happen, right? Because he's probably the most defensive, successful manager in the entire world.
0: Yeah, I think he'd be pretty good.
1: And you know, you assume that he's going to come to a top six team. Uh, you give him Arsenal, and they'll really, really struggle initially. So, like, you need to upgrade even that level of talent. Uh, we know that Arsenal struggle at the back anyway. But like, that's the open question, and no one knows. And I think. You know, Spain is this an extremely difficult league. You you add in the language factors, the adaptation factors. Like guys will run through walls for Simeone um, in Spain. You know, might happen here or not. I'm not sure.
0: I mean, yeah, that's that's a good point. Like, you know, let's let's pre- let's very much simplify it and presume that like Simeone and like Sean dice have like sim- similar stylistic traits in ways. And like, let's say both of them like you know, independently rocks up at a top six club. Like, how much of a factor is is the is that, uh, you know, Simeone would automatically, like, generate a lot of player respect and such. You know, people are going to buy into his ways and be like, oh my God, we've got Simeone. Whereas, like, if Sean Dice shows up, like, you know, you presume nothing at Sean Dice, but, like, that that's thats a hurdle that you'd have to overcome. Like, you know, you, he'd have to sell his methods, like, to the players, like, way harder than, say, Simeone would. And it's not to say that, you know, he's, he's, there's anything wrong with his methods or anything, but it would just be, I think there'd automatically just be, like, a, a higher hurdle to, to overcome. Come, uh, you know, if he if he went in, because you you hear this quite often. People, you know, the kind of like Anglo-centric idea of like, why don't British managers get top jobs and the style of their play and stuff? And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's there's a variety of factors, but you know, you you got to be pretty brave to be one of the top six clubs and employ, uh, you know, someone who deploys the style of Sean Dyche and and think that it's going to work.
1: Well, and and, and the Premier League clubs can choose from the best managers across the entire world right? Yeah. Like just all of them and and they're available. Uh, All right. Moving right along. Oh, wife swap. Hi, James. Um, Using (laughs) current squads and current managers perceived playing style, which managers would you like to switch around? If any, are there any win, win swaps for both teams?
0: Right now, I only left this in just to just so I could bastardize the question and answer the question that I wanted to answer, <laughs> which was basically because obviously there's a lot of rumours floating around like what's going on with Tottenham at the moment. I personally don't think that Poxina's is getting anywhere. I think he's got the full support of um, of Daniel Levy. If you, there were some, uh, there was a support meeting quite recently, and the notes got put out on the internet. I tweeted a little thing about it, and you very much got the feeling that Daniel Levy was behind his manager. That was kind of like the underlying. Uh, thought here, but there were some some mischievous rumours floating around about Jose Mourinho going to Tottenham as a potential, you know, as a potential uh, idea, and it really did make me think. Like in ways, <laughs> Mourinho Mourinho could perf- could potentially be like the perfect kind of Tottenham manager with this squad, because the problem right now is the defence in the midfield. Uh, his systems, his ideas. I'm pretty sure he'd come in straight away and be like, right, this is what we're doing, but. Mourinho kind of gets slightly unfairly castigated as being like a kind of defensive manager and well yeah he may well be defence first manager when he's managed um you know teams like Madrid and some of his Chelsea teams he's he's very much uh, had exciting attacks and uh, good players in those roles and this is what Tottenham have got Tottenham have got like lovely uh, attackers so the idea of a Mourinho kind of like a solid kind of unit built out of Tottenham squad and you know a couple of signings or whatever with people like Son and uh, Kane and whoever zipping around Lucas Mora up up in front ahead of them is I'm 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 not enamoured with that so uh,
1: as I say I don't think it's going to happen but you're going to sign him on a on a two year contract maybe two <laughs> yeah, and a half yeah. after he comes in for January
0: yeah well this is it and that, I mean that's the, you you can't get away from the you know Mourinho for a short period of time can max out the uh, the outputs of, of a squad so that's interesting as well I mean again
1: I, I think, think you must have been it. charmed by him as a, as a <laughs> pundit recently you're like you know he's he's a bit funny he's a bit dashing he's not Graham Souness I just
0: yeah I just I, yeah it's not not, an, not a take that I thought I'd land on but it, you know upon thinking about it you know the, the specific problems that Tottenham appear to be suffering from like right now and it's like yeah that's 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 more appealing than I expected it to be. So that was my. You got anyone for that question? Whoever asked this you...
1: question, that's as close as we're getting to answer it. So if you're sad, kind of. blame James.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: if you were to astroball a team, what would your first steps be, and how do you then define an end state slash infinite loop for that team?
0: Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't understand this question. What's I, hey, hang on. Balls? Like
1: there, there are there are follow ups to this question that are all paired together. Uh, Do you have thoughts on Manchester United's recruitment approach as outlined in Daniel Taylor's article from The Athletic? And then someone in their notes wrote entirely unrelated cue, which feels slightly sarcastic, which clubs could benefit from some sort of version of a director of football. So I kind of bunched (laughs) these together a little bit. Astroball, meaning if you take a team and you get rid of everything that you think you know. Uh, you have a different approach. You you go from a scientific perspective. Um, you know which team would be interesting to do that. How do you do that? And uh, you know what does the end state look like? So I think like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this up front so nobody thinks that we're because there's been a lot of briefings about Manchester United this week. Uh, but I think United are like the most interesting place to do it because you've got the budget to be able to to really go down to brass tacks. Like they're really dysfunctional. Um, and and at the moment, someone asked me uh, after this weekend, do you think Manchester United will be in relegation places? <laughs> and I was like, uh, <laughs> that was not a question that I was really anticipating and fielding. There in twelfth at the moment, plus one goal difference, a little unlucky on the defense side. Um, but it is. <clears throat> so it's that question: what what should you do? And uh, and so like, let's let's parse this a little bit. Like the Astro Ball thing is. Like how are we going to to basically science the shit out of football? And I don't think there are many clubs that are doing it um, very well. Uh, Liverpool are doing a lot of it, but I think United are at that point where they might be willing to to make that that choice um, and and really kind of be able to to make change with a. F- huge budget so so big so like you know if you if you decide that this is the way that we need to play this is better you can go in and and basically have one summer to like sweep everything up keep the guys that you think are good the question is who manages it but i don't know um so yeah it's like first steps are are assessing like what is the best play style how do we find players of that type how do we find coaches to build them up like these are not small things but now we can sort of dig into to the rest of that, which is some interesting stuff uh, that you and I both flagged up from Daniel Taylor's article in the Athletic yeah. about um, United's recruitment.
0: Yeah, so there was this, this big kind of like, I guess the whole the whole concept was like more more is better kind of thing, which um, in in regards to like scouting reports and scouts and like you know. Covering the globe, was it thirty six thousand scout reports they add or something? Thirty six thousand
1: a year, and they're adding more scouts. And I'm looking at that from a perspective of information management from someone that's done this. And I'm yeah. not criticizing this. I'm I'm like literally trying to solve the problem because like a lot of that's the fun part of being an outsider. You're like, oh wow. That is a lot of scouting reports and like 37 a day, like seven days a week or something like that. And I'm like, first of all, who's parsing that? Like how much, how much, how much middle management do you need in order to parse that? Like, that's a lot.
0: Yeah, that's actually more than that, isn't it? It's like 100 a day. But anyway, it's just, yeah, I mean, why, why, why do you need so many scouting reports? You're, you're aiming at the top.
1: Oh yeah, but, I mean you're, like, you're right. I mean, it, it is more like 100 a day. I didn't even do the basic math. I yeah, I, 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 pulled, I pulled it out of the <laughs> article and yeah. it said something like that. Uh, but yeah, but, basic it. But, that, a but that's
0: a good point. I mean, like you're going to be covering a variety of areas. Like you know, I, I, I think yeah, okay, you want you want to be quite deeply covering like kind of like you know kids or teenagers or something. So you, so your your academy is is well stocked and you're getting good players there. But like up to and then you know you want you want good knowledge up to a kind of like certain age group but yeah I mean who are all these players that you're getting scout reports on this does I mean that's just wild uh, isn't how, it? how many
1: how many players in the world now or in two years time are potential United players yeah right not that many you're like, like two, you're in the what 250 in the right now maybe 250 right now maybe a thousand in a few years
0: time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's 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 say you're doing a completionist job. You know, we are the biggest club in the world. We're we're getting we're getting all the scout reports we need. But that's the point. There is a line where that you know what you need kind of like ends and it's I'm pretty sure it's a hell of a long way ahead of 36,000 and even if you feel like you need to evaluate 36,000 players or what, whatever you know well, maybe
1: it's just reports so, like that. maybe we can yeah make let's say
0: 10,000 if, if you evaluate 10,000 players you get four reports of everyone like there, there's
1: definitely a data layer that can actually like shrink this
0: workload yeah we have like
1: really strong thoughts about this because we've done this multiple (laughs) times and we've helped teams set up like pretty darn good recruitment departments being able to filter this information we've done it all levels of football and some of our teams are really really good after having listened to us and other of our teams are less good at either not listening to us or it, it depends like you know things happen and... Short shortlisting <laughs> like future talents for Man United, right? This, this is this is not
0: the world's most complicated job, just isn't. It's um you know, from a data I mean,
1: perspective,
0: you want detail, you want accuracy, you want rigorousness, you want you want to cover, you know, cover things uh, to an ex- a suitable extent. You want lots of reports on players you're very interested in. Yeah. you know, you want to do all your due diligences where you can so, so you get good old boys instead of uh, you know the kind of <laughs> drunk on a Saturday night type players, but.
1: Yeah. So, so maybe it's 36,000 reports and it's at least 10 reports on every player. So now we're at 3,600 players and we're still at like a factor of three or four too many. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's academy players. So they know every academy player in like the Manchester area, maybe even in the Premier League. If you if you divide that in half and you say that, like you're still at like twice as many players. Um, and, and like this is where data comes in. But this is also where like information management comes in. And and they they have like, uh, scouts in tons of different countries, um, you know, which probably includes Africa and South America. You know, are they are they able to bring those guys in on trials? Like, are they are they doing things that that would potentially indicate that they're listening to to the scouts downstream? Because if those scouts are pretty good and working for Manchester United, would generally seem to indicate that. Like, they should have some impact on the process. But like, there's this other factor that says, and and I've kind of talked a little bit about this in the past: scouting language and training your scouts is extremely important. And I experienced this just having had scouts basically from two different languages, Danish and and English. And sometimes even in English, like people are disagreeing about what makes a good fullback and and, and I mean, that's possible, but like we shouldn't spend that much time on it because we should be able to communicate that and you should understand what makes a good fullback. And, and if this is the the logistical effort that you have to do across 30-some-odd countries and presumably like 10 to 15 languages, huh. yeah.
0: <laughs> I think it's something that just occurs to me as we as we talk, like there's, there's probably like simple refinements that may or may not be optimal. But like, you know, when was the last time you signed a player from, I don't know, Mexico? Do you ever sign players from Mexico or pick a country? Like, how much coverage have you got from, from areas that you literally never sign players from, or like you've got work permit issues from, or whatever it is? I mean, yes, you want to, you don't want to miss the next Ronaldo. You want to be aware that this player exists. But, like, how much resources do you need to uh, devote to, like, you know, covering a specific country that you never, ever sign players from?
1: Well, true. And and I guess scouting resources are generally considered to be ch- pretty cheap. But the people that have to to sort and filter for the best players, like, their time is not that cheap. And, and you need to make sure that you handle it a little better. And I think that this comes back to something that we saw from Liverpool um, over, like, the last five years five to seven years which is that they didn't feel like they needed to jump on young talents they were willing to get a little more information let other people do do the extra work and then pay a bit extra for the ones that they thought were perfect and and that's another way of going about it it, it you know it indicates a bit of uncertainty um you know some some teams have like basically feeder clubs or or second clubs in their in their network that they use that type of an, um process for so i don't know it, it's like a lot of complexity there and United don't have a director of football, but they, do, they did recently hire somebody, I think in the last month, month and a half, um, to be able to, to sort of head up all of the, uh, the data-based decision um, you know, organization and stuff like that. So it's, it's a really tricky question to, to say, how do you go in and fix Manchester United? But I think the, the, the other thing people are coming to the conclusion is that the process has not worked for quite a while. And they need somebody to to come in and dramatically improve process. And I, I don't know what I don't want to sound make that sound like an evolution. It's at the point where people are looking at it and looking at the money and saying they need a revolution. They need somebody to shake up the process and to implement things that make sense and to, to really sort of buckle down and start to to innovate inside of this club, which has been pretty slow to do so. Yeah
0: and then uh, maybe watch out in a few years' time.
1: Anyway. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing that came out of the briefings, right? Like, uh, over the last month, they're like, well, we don't really expect to compete for the league for a couple of years. Like, whoa, that's Manchester United. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably never happened, isn't it? And that
0: is actually the sensible way of doing things. Like, you know, Going out and buying Alexis Sanchez. I think there wasn't there a thing in there saying like nobody, So there was a you know a blind quote saying nobody criticized us for the uh, signing Alexis Sanchez at the time. And it was like hello, and hey, we're all over here hey. waving. <laughs> <So> <laughs> no one of,
1: that we read criticized <laughs> yeah. us for so, signing Alexis. Sorry, Sanchez. sorry
0: for the stats community not being quite loud enough, but we were we were there with our kind of drum kit hitting away at the time. Anyway, Great, Grace uh, is
1: going to pick it outside of your house now. Then
0: <laughs> it's like he wasn't even yeah.
1: a bad signing.
0: Yeah, it didn't work. Right, so uh, talking of signings that were quite good, or seemed to be quite good, was Idrissa Gay the best midfielder in this world the whole time? That's Grace related. Grace put out his his, his early season radar on Twitter the other day, and it was like, oh my God, the dude is doing everything for PSG right now, and uh, that's interesting. Uh, He's finally, I mean, isn't there the story that uh, when Leicester bought Conte, they they went, yeah, I'm pretty sure they went for Gay and, and missed out Villa got him. And so maybe like, you know, five years on or whatever is he's actually like, Yes, I am better than Conte. <laughs>
1: and he's crushing <laughs> it at PSG. Well yeah, yeah. And, and and he's part of that villa crop that ended up turning out to be pretty good, but that no one yeah. really Oh, so so like this is that amazing sliding doors moment, right? So so Lester picked up Conte, was it the season that they won the title? Uh, you see, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and I I went back through like some old reports and some interaction that I had with uh, with Dortmund uh, via via Matthew, the owner of uh, of, of Smart Odds in Brentford and, and Michelin. and basically like they were asking us for like statistical opinions on some of their targets during a, a period of time. This is quite a while ago, and in fact, it was the the summer of two thousand fifteen, I think. And on that list was N'Golo Conte, and you're like. Wow. So he could have gone to Dortmund. What would have happened there? And then how would that have changed like everything else that happened in like the Premier League two years later? Because not only was Conte on that Leicester team, but he was also on the Chelsea team uh, in in Pep year one, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kind kind of amazing.
0: Sorry sorry to die, but Ryan O'Hanlon wrote uh, a thing about Conte uh, this week uh, for ESPN, I think, and it was... um, he he was he was saying how like I think a general thrust was like yeah don't worry about him playing uh, he's written the article I've kind of wanted to write for ages which is like yeah don't worry about him like being like this box to box midfielder now he's actually really good at that as well it's just uh you know the, the idea that he was like so influential as a defensive midfielder before and uh, you know won two league titles but yeah I mean Conte remains interesting but great to see Gay kind of like just slot into slot into PSG's team and because I mean some of the PSG signings have, have, have been. Yeah, a little outside the box, I suppose. Like you know, older midfielders. They got Herrera as well, who, who hasn't suddenly become the world's best midfielder, <laughs> world's best defensive midfielder uh, at PSG. Um, but yeah, I mean, and good luck to him. It'd be interesting to see how that progresses and how you know how how PSG perform this season because obviously you know the crux of the matter is Champions League and you know that's that's where that's where you know legacies get made and such. So we'll see. Speaking of episode.
1: world's best, I had people from the the NBA uh, asked me if we were going to put uh, Adrian Tarascon's uh, talk from PSG up on, <laughs> up on YouTube because the, the noise had been that it was so good and, and so detailed in how to take data and actualize it all the way down to the pitch and have it impact your training and everything like that. That they're like, look, I think that we might be able to pull some things out of that. I was like that's fascinating and really cool that like it's it's cross sport. Um, Seth Parton I was saying so the same thing. He's now with the the Athletic in in the um in the audience, and you know it really does go to show that a lot of these people who are entirely unsung, um you know behind the scenes are are capable of doing amazing work. And and Valsa I think her talk also was just like stunning and how detailed and interesting it was and how they were using science to to sort of learn more about the whole process of everything or potentially everything inside of football like movement especially so like how do we train better goalkeepers by by you know making them move laterally better because those are the types of saves that they need to make sort of low and down to the side more often than the ones that are high but you know we kind of historically the common wisdom is train goalkeepers who make great leaps up into the air and and to the sides when in reality like more than 60% of the shots that that they'll ever face are are below uh, shoulder height and and I just like I'm sitting there I'm like oh this is this is so good like I love seeing science applied to football problems and and those two people you're like look they they already work for some of the biggest clubs in the world but like they're super talented and you would never hear from them
0: it's cool isn't it because like you know when you got when you when you know the fact that we got People from some of the biggest clubs in the world, like detailing some of their methods and ideas, and it's like, why? Okay, everyone else in football, look, this is what the you know the the well-funded, good-quality clubs do. You need to be attempting to move in these directions. You need to be thinking in these ways, and you know if you want if you want to compete long-term, and any club can like pick up you know small angles that they can deploy and you know implement, and you know there should be someone doing research in a football club, you know whatever size it is. I think you know. It's, it's just, we're there now, aren't we? If there yeah, it's, it's why, not just, like,
1: there? using sports science to, to power athletes and, you know, help them recover. It's it's using sports science to figure out how to build better athletes and how to how to improve their form and how to produce better young players that turn into world-class, uh, you know, players at age, like, 20 to 22, which IX do on a constant basis. So maybe they, they've got a little bit going on behind the scenes. I don't know. Yeah,
0: and if, if you're, you know, if you're a small club that devotes some resources to this and, and you know, lands on absolutely smart practitioners who, you know, really can solve these problems or, you know, make, make moves to improve, you know, how efficient you are and how you deal with your players or injuries or whatever it is, then that's, this is a large edge you could potentially, you could potentially acquire and that's going to help a lot. I mean, it's, it's so easy just to look at kind of like simple things like, you know, make better transfers or whatever it is, but uh, yeah, I don't know, no stone should be left unturned in the search for, you know, improving your organization's, uh, talent and efficiency
1: and one know, of the questions uh, that came at the end of uh, adrian's talk was well, what what do you do when you have like you don't have the resources that PSG have. And Aunderland's like, we actually have quite a small team that that does this. And, mm-hmm. and data is really kind of a force multiplier. It allows us to, to cut through a lot of stuff and be able to leverage it and get it downstream faster than we would otherwise. And I'm sitting there, like, obviously it's great for for him to say that. Like, we have nothing going on there. There are customers. It's not like we're we're giving them things or anything like that. And it's, it's like so cool because like, it's exactly what we've talked about over the years. Like we can use data to allow us to do our jobs Faster And more efficiently, if you've got smart people that are trained up on this, then they're able to take that and get that downstream to the coaches um, in, in a way that's very actionable. We simplify a lot of it along the way while still, you know, looking at a number of different angles from any particular game. And it was just, it was so good to see and, and fun all right let's let's move on just quickly had, just, just yeah.
0: quickly it's easy it'd be, it's easy to like be in a smallish club whereas the thing oh my god you know liverpool man city all these t- all these massive clubs whatever it's like coming up against Google and they've got thousands of graduates all kind of like working on problems. It's like, yeah, no, most of the time it's just a handful of people, a handful of really smart people working on a problem. So I don't know. Don't think the mountain's too high is my message there.
1: Yeah, there might be lots of people uh, on the staff, but not necessarily that many that produce useful work, which is another thing that kind of happens at some clubs over the years. Uh, So we had a question that you wanted to, Oh, yeah. What's the longest, most dramatic underperformance of expected goals you can remember? Asking for a really worried friend. Stoke related. That was and
0: literally from an account called Art Stoke Analytics, I think.
1: So, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> was it? Yeah, all right, I'm with you there. Um, Liverpool, the last season of Doug Leash. An entire season that's like the biggest outlier in the data set for like huge underperformance in attack and I know that we probably have better ways of evaluating this now, but that was a big one.
0: Yeah, it was. It's one that always came, always came up and that was over a whole season. But I you know, if looking focusing back on Stoke, I don't think like I'd be that worried at this stage. It's only you know, we're close to a quarter of a season. As long as they continue to like mosey on at this kind of level then, then the results should improve
1: um i mean when, that, that's, when that's frogs the thing. start to fall from the sky you might <laughs> want to be at the britannia you might want to be a little more concerned than we are now
0: People used to do like half season things like you know you look at like one half a season like how does it project to the, other, the next half of the season and the thing is when when it's all your kind of like your conversions and your you know your over unders that, that are off then they're not predictive of, of what happens next so you know that instinctively from a stoke perspective as long as you keep doing the things you're doing now you should end up like the rest of you should probably hopefully maybe <laughs> end up as long as as long as things don't change structurally like you know all the players fall out and the manager leaves and you know it's all completely turns to crap then mid table ish things being it. equal yeah then you would presume that the their results would match to some degree more like they're more likely to match uh, the, the expectation as we go through the rest of the season, and that would see them just kind of drift towards mid table. I, you know, like I say, strange things have happened, weirder things have happened, but like all things being equal, that's what you would presume is most likely to happen.
1: I mean, speaking of the championship, there, there's some pretty interesting teams down there. Uh, obviously, Barnsley and their their kid project is there, Reading, who've kind of been around the bottom of the championship table for a while, Huddersfield, who recently were just relegated and and hired the, the Cowleys, from lincoln who are probably two of the brightest young talents and coaching in the uk but middlesbrough is down there like they're on 10 points and they haven't f- feels like they haven't been down near the bottom of the table in like a million years and like wigan luton like teams that have come up recently or within the last couple of years so yeah the championship table is going to be a funky one i don't want to dig too much into that but i i did since someone mentioned stoke on five points i thought maybe i'd take a look
0: Right, what have we got next? Uh, assume Chelsea finish top four. What oh,
1: James, we have to in listen moment, to like positive Chelsea questions.
0: <laughs> I think no. The reason I left this question in was I think it was an interesting point here because uh, you know Chelsea looking okay at the moment. Metrics pretty solid. Uh, all their young talents that are landing in the team and, you know, also hudson Adoy's come back now too as well. So it's another young talent that's likely to, uh, you know, get a decent amount of game time. You know, Loftus-Cheek's still floating around in recovery as well. So there's quite a lot of depth in that squad and these players have grown together. A lot of them still young. But, you know, Mount has done better than could have been expected. Um Abraham has done, you know, pro- probably from a sheer goal-scoring perspective, has done better than expected. But the fact that he could fit in this team... I think you're maybe on record as suggesting that he he could. Tamori's been the big, uh, you know, a massive uh, gain uh, guy that's come into the team and looked pretty solid at the back. But I I think it's an interesting question because like next summer, what what, what do they do? Do, You know, suddenly suddenly the purse strings are open. They can buy players again. But they're in a situation now where uh, their squad looks quite well balanced and quite well you know w- what positions would they
1: get then go and target to um, they should buy danny drinkwater and ross barkley all over again <laughs> like the first time
0: funny <laughs> enough maybe maybe that's maybe uh you're on that maybe it is there will be a, a small push to just like get one or two english players although you know the young players that have come through have been mainly english uh so that
1: yeah that's be okay. that's maybe really okay on homegrown. that
0: front yeah. but then that, there's an interesting question like you know having Integrated a handful of young players, you know. Finally, finally, they've got to this point. Maybe, maybe Lampard looks at it next summer and says, like, yeah, there's one or two more guys that we can do the same for. And
1: I think and they right. need to upgrade Keppa is like the first step.
0: <clears throat> yeah, you you could argue that, and but then they might easily just be thinking like, you know, we, he's he's our keeper. We spent a lot of money on him, and we're 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 that's where we're at. But yeah, it, it worked
1: know. for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Simon Manuel.
0: That's, no, that's a fair point, actually. You know, when when you got to a stage where your team is, is fairly reliable, fairly solid, fairly kind of picking itself, and it's like, right, well, what is the one point that we could improve on? Like, money, no object, almost. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, so interesting to see where they go. Right, okay. Someone else is interested in the net impact on penalties on XG. Presumably a penalty results in a higher XG than if play were to continue, but has there been any attempt to quantify this? I think people have looked at it. I'm not sure what the... Um, uh, what the you know I, I can't point you at an article per se. But I think the, the the best way of like describing this is if, if a penalty is uh, you know the expected goal value of a penalty is 0.76, 0.77, somewhere around there. Um, how many chances do you get that are of that higher value? And I can tell you there ain't many. And to get an expected goal value of a single shot uh, above that of a penalty, then you're basically looking at like within the six yard box. Um, don't know where the keeper is. Could be could be out of the way, but pretty high. So when you consider the amount of the amount of penalties that are conceded by a foul that is in in an area that would create a chance that is worth that much of a penalty, very small. The amount of penalties conceded in kind of like areas that have an expected goal value that is very low, like you know a lot. So there you go net impact penalties and that's partly why you know we we move them out of analysis or like keep putting them in a separate bucket because it they're just, they're just they just skew so much in that one direction it's it's suboptimal, i think from
1: yeah from so on season totals crystal palace had the most penalty goals last year
0: yeah they did they just, yeah so um, they
1: had 10 manchester united had nine not united have had a bunch of penalties this year to start with as well uh, Bournemouth only with seven last year. What was the year before like? I got yeah.
0: Bournemouth always a team that like uh, seems to be good at getting penalties. I mean, it's like
1: Bournemouth and Jamie Vardy feel like the the two <laughs> yeah. constants and uh, and penalty generation. <laughs> and Palace Palace had eight the year before too. So like let's let's add uh, Zaha and Townsend into that as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean that is that is a fact. I mean that Zaha thing like is always an argument as to you know his value. He gets penalties and that kind of thing. So. Anyway, let's yeah, move on. Yeah, should have on. spent like
1: 60, 70 million for him in the summertime. Yeah, maybe
0: not. Right, I'd okay. like someone, <laughs> I not me, someone else would like to know why the experts overrated City's chances of winning the Premiership. Premiership, Premier League, I think you'll find, sir, uh, this year. Uh, the theory is they used the wrong baseline. They should have asked how often win, teams win three in a row. I'm not bothered about the three in a row thing so
1: much how how often in history has the best team in the Premier League history uh, over two seasons who had uh, 98 points ever won a third title like that's a that's a a very Sky Sports-esque media way of looking at it right because you want to how often has this thing happened Uh, and the answer is it's never happened before because we've never had a 98 point uh, sorry, hundred and ninety-eight point team <laughs> across two seasons. Uh, I don't think the baseline has anything to do with it. I think it, the dominance of City, especially in the metrics, but just generally across those two seasons. Like, yes, obviously Liverpool were very close, but um, from things that have been very good at predicting things traditionally, uh, City were were awesome and awesome enough that they won two in a row. The question, much more so, is what happens if they have like serious injury problems across the back line. Yeah, yeah.
0: it seems to me that's what's going on. But that's the thing, like metric-wise, they still look, you know... They still look very hot. I mean, they're skewing out of certain games. I think Liverpool... I've said, I've said this at the start of the season. If Liverpool were to uh, like challenge this season, what they had to do was maintain the consistency in... Uh, you know, the very few games when Liverpool actually gave up any volume of chances last, last season. They were pretty good at keeping shots away from their goal and low shots and stuff. And they've continued to do that. Also run, run their... You know, had a little bit of luck along the way. I think the Leicester game was probably the first time Liverpool have actually just, like, beat down a team and then, you know, it was only a late penalty that got them the win, but they very much deserve to win that uncomfortably. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is interesting. I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced that eight, after eight games that, like, the, the chances were necessarily overrated. Like, City's metrics remain extremely uh, strong and were extremely strong and were ahead of Liverpool's uh, last season. And I imagine... Whatever the, you know, the eventual output. If we end up with two teams over ninety points again, which is you know not impossible, uh, I'd be surprised if City didn't actually spec out as being like the strongest team via metrics, and then you know what happens after that. Who knows? If
1: reversion to the mean is still something that we subscribe to, which on this podcast we do. Uh, I think this will get a lot closer over the the coming months. Now that said, I didn't think there would be a title race last year, and Liverpool might be doing some things that kind of spoof the metrics or the models aren't able of taking into account. They have very smart people. Perhaps they have run the simulation through the Large Hadron Collider and, <laughs> and produced this reality.
0: Well, again, like like I say, consist- consistency. Like Liverpool just don't really have bad getting bad defensive games where that you know things go a little bit awry and um you know they generally you know if, if if they create two expected goals to their opponents one or under like that's that's pretty constant whereas you know, like city, city Lab games will create like I don't know five expected goals to to 0.1 or something and it feels like they're a little bit more variable um yeah we'll see we'll see um right you and you and you our analyst asked a question but sadly it was in Chinese so we don't know what he was asking, asking at all
1: Next question. It's safer to avoid those in the current times anyway.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I just I just, couldn't
0: understand the question. There was there was no way I could just click a button on Twitter and translate it and read <laughs> it. So, no idea what he was on about. Next question. Who's the best team in League 2? Will X to get promoted? Uh, I had a very quick look at this. Uh, via our metrics, we have uh, X to Bradford, Crew and Swindon. All kind of similar. All about uh, plus 0.5 XG. Uh, so they look like the strong teams in that league at the moment.
1: And uh, uh Mansfield Town, also mm-hmm. Newport, not doing too bad. Uh so yeah, these are all all interesting questions, but it's super early, like thirteen games in, right? So we're at, Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. can
0: get quite grindy down there, that's the no yes,
1: doubt about that. Yes, uh is- Next one.
0: Thoughts on Scottish football. I will admit I don't have many thoughts on Scottish football. I did know. Oh no, I've, I was. I'm staying so is. far away
1: from this. Like <laughs> every time that I open my mouth about Scottish football, people get very angry at me because I'm like, it's basically like League One caliber, and then a little bit of the topish top of the championship they're like no (laughs) well teams team stevie's doing right like
0: via uh again via spectacle not all just to give a quick flavor of uh, team strength at this early juncture rangers are actually ahead of celtic which uh, Uh mildly surprised me plus 1.3 celtic plus 1.1 so that that could actually be for the first time in what feels like a very long time a a, you know a a fair old fist fight up there um we'll see how it progresses and if if gerard has actually like raised (laughs) raised uh Raise Rangers' level to, you know, to be competitive with <laughs> That's t- something to note. You've tickled
1: me by describing Scotland having a fair old fist fight for its league title, which, reasonable. if you've watched the the product on the pitch, it does seem reasonable. Moving right along long.
0: Right, the relationship <laughs> between first goal scorer and any time goal scorer.
1: I, I've stayed so far out of the way of this one. <laughs> like you're
0: gonna... I did feel, yeah, uh, how often is a sub involved in scoring as a percentage? Can you use player XG to estimate your scoring probability in match or is it more to do with the permission, position formation dynamic of team? But yeah. yeah. I, when you use the phrase any time goal scorer, <laughs> it's very much... Very much is it a
1: towel?
0: That, uh, yeah, it's a very large towel that you're uh, looking for. <laughs> Gambling advice, which we don't really do on this podcast. Uh, we have occasionally thrown out the tips and ideas, but
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know. You're going to have
0: to do the research, friend.
1: I'm yeah, so we, I mean, this is obviously a consulting project that could be done, uh, but also something that we generally work on the team side and don't tend to do consultancy work in gambling. Uh, some other uh, people that work in the space are definitely more interested in that uh so i have a question for you which i think you've actually done the research where would manchester united be in the league if they had league average finishing yeah i mean it's just kind of funny because like you know what what
0: ifs and all that and it isn't actually that much different i I reckon i I just just a quick (laughs) fag packet maths or something they might have another win or something they might be like three points better off it's not much um Four points, maybe. I mean, there's a you know range that you could you could look at here. But I mean, that this there's so much narrative that's been driven about the League, like where are you in the Premier League right now? And I think Brighton Tottenham was kind of reflective of this. Obviously, it was horrible, and Brighton were very much superior, and Tottenham were bad. Uh, but quite quickly after that, like you know, if if that. Um, that result flips, uh, then you know everyone would be like, yeah, Tottenham are fine, uh, Brighton have won one, one have got one win in eight, and it'd be like, right, Brighton crisis, Tottenham are fine. So, Man United are almost in a similar situation. You know, they've had had a couple of mediocre performances and um, you know haven't looked too great, but you know they, they only need to sn- sn- sneak a one nil here or there, and that they'll they'll look kind of okay. Not much going on. Um, what's the next metric we'll be all talking about?
1: So I, I left this one in because I thought it was a good place to talk about a lot of what came out in our conference this past week, especially on the research side. Uh, a lot of ball progression models are there, uh, Karun Singh's ex, um, expected threat or XT type stuff. Um, you, I think the first wave of research papers actually went up this uh, yesterday from you. Yep. <clears throat> and and so I think like holistic ball progression is is the next step the 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 difficult concepts to grasp here i uh, partly are the modeling stuff like when we we went through I think three or four different approaches to modeling. We produced our, our Markov chain as a as a white paper that Derek produced, uh, who's now at the Baltimore Ravens, but was our data scientist, uh, and that was like our second best approach. Uh, we have a better approach that that we think handles a lot of that stuff even better. And Tom did a, a good talk about you know kind of walking through the process and the pain that that we had getting to that point. But um, you know people. Used to call this like non-shot expected goals, and the difficulty just becomes in explaining it. Um, you know, how do you how do you apply it? Like, where where's the utility? And there's there's almost no real uh, external research that has been published on how should we be using non-shot expected goals? Like, how good is it? How useful is it? It's it's certainly it's better with tracking data, and then you get the stuff that Will Spearman does uh on like off ball shooting opportunities which is the the opportunities that the Didn't have a pass made to them, but somebody was in a good position to then create like a very good chance. And like that's where you will start to lose coaches in a lot of cases unless they're like really switched on. Like they become something that's a bit too esoteric for them to just be able to immediately apply. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. It just means that we have to figure out how to frame the discussion in a way that that's easy for them to, to make sense of and understand
0: just to bring it down to the kind of level that is a little bit more,
1: more where I'm at
0: <laughs> rather than the extensive modeling as a touch uh Katie was talking about something uh, in relation to uh, like the difference between carries and passes and like valuing player contribution through um uh, through through you know how they progress the ball at the pitch and and the simple fact that like you know when you model these things out often like carries of carries are denoted as like a a stronger and more positive kind of variable than passing, because a carry in and of itself is, you know, you don't you don't fail or um, or succeed with a carry. You have moved the ball at the pitch, whereas a pass. You know how 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 can you discount like the pass if it's if you fail the pass then you know the, the point you made the pass you've you kind of like you've lost you've lost the ball you haven't actually progressed up the pitch and the, the like model is actually kind of like so I'm like positively rating carriage versus passing now that seems backwards. Uh, uh, to me and i think he said this similar insofar as you know if you're passing the ball at the pitch you're moving the ball quicker than you are if you carry it and so yeah this this little kind of like tension between these two things that you need to you need to kind of like consider when you're actually evaluating how players players move move the ball out of the pitch and uh how successful or not they are and well, I, I think definitely, it's it's definitely also like, useful
1: to invert that
0: mm-hmm.
1: so so say like on a carry i know where the ball's at On a pass, you've now added uncertainty as to where the ball might go. And the danger of that pass is, like, quite significant. I do have to close you down on a carry because, like, I can't just allow you to waltz to the space. But the fact that it might also be, like, you know, some some gravity element where, like, there is always gravity to the ball. And and the most beneficial bit is having people collapse to the ball and then create additional space that um, is away from the ball in the valuable areas. And that's one reason why like cutbacks are so so useful, right? Because like teams have to respect the fact that the ball is getting very close to the goal and is potentially one v one with the goalkeeper. But by respecting that, that means that they then create space in really dangerous areas. Um, and, and often like screwing up the defensive line in the process. So yeah, it's a it's a really interesting sort of like waiting perspective. And and Seth Partnow and I were talking a little bit about this concept of gravity, and and that goes back to Javi uh, Javi Fernandez who who, who spoke uh, at our conference. And I think his we actually have permission to to post on YouTube because uh, they've done a lot of stuff uh, from Barcelona in like public spaces, which is like really. Interesting, um, but he was the one that wrote about how Messi creates more space for his teammates by standing still in many cases. And and so like the the things in the Barcelona games that have gravity are the ball, but Lionel Messi. <laughs>
0: yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> hey, tell, t- tell you what, it'd be good if you had a data set with carries in it, wouldn't it?
1: Hmm. Uh, also with Lionel Messi in it. <laughs> for free. We got that,
0: we got that people. On we
1: the listen. resource center of the statsbomb.com website.
0: Yeah, carries are carries are interesting because I think you know they haven't been explicitly like put into datasets in the past, so it's actually quite fun to play with them rather than having to derive them. I spent at one point ages deriving them, so don't have to do anymore. Good. Uh, one right. of the things that Pugsley
1: said on our on the the podcast, the live podcast though, was that um, the game has kind of swept past the casual analysts at this point. Like you have to do a good amount of work in order to to keep doing anything new but in many cases like to even just keep up and and that's not really an invalid point like it if we do this full-time you and i do this full-time and if you <laughs> so I, this is actually a good segue how much attention should we pay to shot metrics including shots on target and shot ratios uh, in the new world of expected models and is big chance an outdated concept and i know that you and pugsley had a, had a podcast when i was uh when i was in madrid where you kind of went back to some of the old metrics and and you still think that you like this the knowing that there's a bit of value but I know,
0: yeah i mean my my point is like the, the i any information is in is use, useful to me like, i mean okay there's some things that you're not interested in at all but like shots on target is a classic thing that like people just dis- disregarded because it's like right okay this 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 isn't relevant to me right now and it's like right okay then i look at a list of liverpool's games this season i notice that they've only given up like maximum of three shots on target in like seven consecutive games and i know that that's very low and that, that in that in, immediately that's interesting to me because it's like okay like Liverpool however they're doing it and I mean the how and the why is, is a complete secondary uh, level but like how how however they're doing it they're managing to make their keeper not have to make many saves at all and that's a good thing so like you say even if that's just like one percent or point 0.1% of like your analysis of like understanding a team. Then I'll, I'll take that. I'm I'm interested in that. That's fine. Um, like I say, you know, you're not going to lean into it and like build you, like your entire analysis based on like the one thing. But then that's the same thing with with everything. You know, we I we kind of I think Tom's <laughs> Tom sort was railing against like the XG framework like be covering all, and um, like yeah, this is it. Like Spectacles goals is fine. It's useful. It's one thing. I, I mean, I can remember even like four or five years ago at the the opta conference uh dan Altman was there saying like let's look beyond expected goals you know it's, it's one part of the you know tool set but let's look at other things and it's like yeah that's it still holds um I guess expected goals has just kind of come because it's become almost normalized. You've got a stage where like, you know, a lot of kind of like people who are casually interested, are interested in the expected goals. And maybe they're asking the same questions of it that, you know, people like us did many years ago. Um, and we'll work through that stage until we get to a stage where people like look at other things, but yeah, like any little piece of information I can find out about a team from like a data perspective may inform and may help me understand like what they, what a team is doing and how it's setting up or, you know, what, what is strong about them, what is weak about them. So, Yes, you can disregard some things. No, I wouldn't disregard everything just as is. That said, big chances is a load of crap. But anyway.
1: Yeah, we'll leave the big chances a bit. But I think uh, <laughs> be, uh, expected goals is a good framework. It, it, it's just like it works as a framework and you know, as, a, as a metric or like especially an individual shot element. It has like a lots of weaknesses, but football is also a, a complex game full of like really interesting decisions and choices too. Like the ball gets into a good position, uh, so it's it's that classic extra pass that we talk about. Like you're one v one with the keeper at like the twelve yard box, and like that is a, a forty percenter right there. That's like really good. Uh, that's that's a that's a great chance. But there's a better chance if you have, if you know you have somebody closing down. That back post, and if you have players to be able to know that someone is is closing down that back post, or if you have players that make that back post run via coaching or however, then you can take that forty percent and turn it into like a ninety or ninety-five, and like that's the that's a huge difference in in the game. Being able to evaluate all of those moments extremely difficult, and and the complexity and producing them on a regular basis is yeah, there's a lot inside of it, um, but. Yeah, as a framework, like all of this kind of works together to give you some basis for figuring some elements of the pitch out. Uh, but I want to go back to your, your, your point about shot medicine and shot on target. One of the early gambling models that I, I produced <clears throat> before we really had expected goals um, calculations in, in bulk was something that that basically had all the shot metrics and gave teams credit for that, but then like you know bumped up the weighting on shots on target because like those are are scored at like a different rate, uh, and it was actually really really quite good at producing um, uh, how do I say uh, team point totals year over year, uh, and we we would adjust based on like you know did the head coach move and and were there some really good signings, but like it, it was the point at which we were able to take take pinnacle's um, uh, team team spreads or point spreads uh, from being a loser to, to consistently turning a profit back in the day. Anyway, these these days, I don't know, but uh, it took me a long time to kind of wrap my head around that. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, your shots on target are have a stronger signal and it's, it's signaling basically that they're getting in better positions to potentially produce those things the the converse problem there is that <clears throat> shots on target from wide areas are not as valuable as we think and they happen to be on target because the goalkeeper is covering a much bigger part of the angle that yeah. you might be able to aim for so yeah i
0: mean there's a lot of you know the argument is what's the purpose what are you trying to do you know if you just want to build some ratings like who you think is like the best team in the league areas because you you f- because you like it and it's fun, then yeah, sure, do what you like. You know, if you want to build something to, to you know understand gambling and make profits, then yeah, you may have different ideas. As to if you actually just want to analyze football, I'd say I'll just to quickly turn uh, to a question that we we have on here about West Ham, because I think this is relevant here. Uh, someone asked, uh, "West Ham's offensive issues are they systematic or personnel or both?" Now, West Ham's shots against math is really quite interesting. Uh, they've uh, conceded nine. Goals outside of penalties uh, from an expectation of 14.3, so they're way ahead in defence. Now, first thing I look at a shot map, I see loads of shots from through balls. Uh, you know, one, two, three, four, four six, seven, you know, 10, 12 shots from through balls, lots in central locations. Uh, so that, that immediately tells me that like, people are able to pass through their defence. Uh, like, why is that their central midfield? Frequently, I look at West Ham central midfield, and I think, mm, I'm not sure about that. So maybe there's a relationship here. That's something to look at further. But one really interesting thing, I think, about their, uh, their shot map is I can count one, two, three, four, five, six chances, I think, that have all got an expected goal value of probably 0.3 and up in the six-yard box that haven't even landed on target. Now, you ain't planning for that. I'm, I'd be amazed <laughs> you know, if there was some kind of plan here. There's another like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, probably another six uh, chances, all of similar value, uh, kind of like 0.25 and up, you know, 0.3, 0.4, uh, just beyond that, uh, that again have not hit the target. So this is really quite stark. You actually look at West Ham's shot map uh, against... And they're conceding a lot of like what look like high value chances in central locations in the box that for a reason I don't know because I'm not actually watched the video, haven't hit the target. Now your instinct immediately is like, right, this is not something that's gonna persist. Like, you know, if you continue to give up chances like dead centre in the in the box, then some will land on target and some will go in but you know that's the very quick like look at you know an eight game shot map for west ham i would have concerns there and you know the fact that things aren't going on target immediately is a little flag because it's like right okay you know i can i can draw that little piece of analysis out and it makes me wonder what's going on
1: so you're suggesting that shots on target as a metric might occasionally have some problems and that's why we use expected goals now
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, these
1: uh, there's many many ways to skin the
0: proverbial cat, but like yeah, you can you can look at West Ham's uh, shot map against and it will it will create more questions than answers I think, but they probably will concede some goals at a higher rate sooner or later. Anyway, is that, is that all we got,
1: James? Is
0: I think that it, it is. I think it is. Yeah, that's all the questions. Ooh. Thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Yeah, I I bought James uh, some new podcasting equipment, hoping that he would have time to to go around and do vox pops at the uh, at the conference. But the conference was like so wild and so intense, and everybody's in rooms the entire time. That it didn't quite happen. But yeah, maybe yeah. maybe we can use that material to do a podcast in the office at some point.
0: We could do. I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure if the, I'm not sure if the audience will get the <laughs> full benefit of this but yeah no it's good uh, we, we so, do so next
1: week we might change up all of our equipment and say exactly the same shit <laughs> do. but anyway right thanks for listening everybody cheers bye